Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Well, the last time I preached, I, I actually went way back to Nehemiah 8, and you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to remind us of what I kind of highlighted out of that text. And there's three things that I love about that text. These are not normative, they're not like required for us to follow, but I think they're good visual pictures for us. And the three things in that, in Nehemiah 8, is one, when Israel came back to the promised land, and the Israelites got excited again about God's word, they had Ezra the scribe bring out the big Torah scrolls and explain the text to the people. And they literally stood in the rain for like three days listening to the Torah being read and explained. And it was in that context that actually we get our wooden podium. So they erected a wooden podium and put the Bible on that so that visually it's centralized. So that's a really cool aspect. The other thing that I like about that passage is that when Ezra began reading the text, the people stood up to visually honor the reading of the Bible. And then after that, Ezra explained it and allowed the word of God to impact the hearts of the Israelites. So I'd like to ask you again today as we read this text, which is Galatians 5, 16 through 26, that you would stand with me as I read the text to visually honor the Bible. So Galatians 5, 16 through 26. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are? Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who have belonged to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, 
let us also walk by the Spirit. And you can end there in, in verse 25. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for your word that you've given us your revelation. Lord, I ask that these words this morning would impact our hearts, that we would be compelled to walk by the Spirit over and against walking by the flesh. So often, Lord, I know in my life, I rely on my flesh to make me more spiritual, to make me closer to you. But you've clearly explained to us here that it's by your Spirit, it's by walking by your Spirit that we grow in our walk with you, Lord. So I ask that this morning you would help us to understand what it means to walk by the Spirit, and that, Lord, then you would help us to do it, to live it out, to choose this day to walk by the Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if you've ever done something in your life that you really didn't want to do. You know, something you knew was not the right thing to do, but you ended up doing it anyways. Back when I was, I would say, probably 13 or 12 or so, I went to the grocery stop, shop with my mom and my brother. And my, my brother was younger, so my mom would put him in the shopping cart, right, towards the front of it, and she'd push it around, and Samuel could kind of do the Titanic thing and like hang out on the front of it holding on and really enjoy it. Well, we got to one aisle, and my mom's picking out, you know, food and groceries, and so she leaves my brother and I, and you know brothers, we always kind of like have a rivalry thing going on. She leaves me and my brother back at one end of the aisle, and then she goes way down and starts picking out some food. Well, I thought it would be really funny. I knew it was wrong, but I thought it'd be really funny if I grabbed it and went like this. (laughs) So I did that, and all I could see was Samuel's feet coming out from underneath him and flipping over the cart and smashing down on the, you know, the linoleum. So it was really a jerk, jerk move, right? Really bad thing to do. My my mom saw, saw it, and she came running down, and I got a scolding, and I knew That is not something I should have done, but I decided to do it anyways. Our walk with Jesus, with Yeshua, tends to be very similar. This passage is saying that there's a struggle. There's a constant struggle between our flesh and the Spirit. We always know what we should do, but we oftentimes find ourselves doing exactly the opposite. But the good news is that if we have believed in Jesus, God's Son, Yeshua, our flesh has been crucified with Messiah. And it's no longer us that are living, right? But it's Messiah living in us. So we have the victory. We have already crucified the flesh, but it's our choice as to whether or not we're going to live in it. Are we going to choose to walk by the Spirit or walk by the flesh? The main point I'd like to share with you tonight, the thrust, the heart of this passage, and you have sermon notes in your bulletins, and these are the first two blanks, is walk by the Spirit and find freedom. I'll say that again. Walk by the Spirit and you will find freedom from your flesh, from that bondage, from always finding yourself doing exactly what you didn't want to do. Over the past several weeks, Gary's been speaking on each specific aspect of the fruit. What I'd like to do this morning is, as you can see in your Bibles, I'd like to take a step back 
and take a look at the whole context of Galatians and specifically the section that we find the fruit of the Spirit in. So we know where Paul's coming from when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at, broadly speaking, the whole book of Galatians, the main thrust is really freedom in Messiah. Back when the, when the congregation, when the body of Messiah was just beginning, there was this, this compulsion, this feeling like they had to keep the law in order to grow in their walk with Messiah, instead of relying on the Spirit. And I want to point your attention to one verse that I think encapsulates the main point of Galatians. And what's so cool about it is it's written as a question, which is so Jewish, right? Paul was very Jewish, so he makes the thesis of the whole book a question. So turn with me in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. And this, again, I believe is the heart. So, you know, when you write a nice paper, you have a thesis, and then you explain that thesis in your paper. Paul's very similar. This is the thesis of the book of Galatians. Read with me. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I'll read that again. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, Are you now being perfected by the flesh? So Paul's really hitting them at the heart of the matter. When you first got saved, what were you relying on to save you? Yeshua, Jesus, right? His work. So now, 5, 10, 15 years later, what are you relying on to cause you to grow in your faith? Is it you or is it the person and the work of Yeshua Messiah. And Paul is saying here, it needs to be Yeshua and His work. It needs to be a focus on Him and His Word, which will cause you to want to walk by the Spirit. It'll cause you to see Him. And there's four aspects, and this is also in your notes, there's four aspects that I'd like to highlight on what it actually means to walk by the Spirit. And the first is, and you'll see this in In verse 16, back in Galatians 5, the first is the command, and that's in verse 16. The command. The second, and you can see this in verses 17 through 18, the conflict. There's a conflict. Three, the contrast. And four, the conquest. And that's in verses 24 through 26. So this, we want to really unpack what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And there's, we see the command in verse 16. There's going to be a conflict that happens. There's a contrast and then the conquest. Let's take a first look right here at the command. And these are your blanks. Walking by the Spirit leads to freedom. So when we choose to walk by the Spirit, again, it will naturally lead to freedom. I'd like to take a closer look at the term walk. What does it mean to walk? Walk really is a command. Paul writes it in the imperative, so it's not really an optional thing. Paul is really charging us, choose today to walk in the Spirit. The second thing that I'd like to point out is walk really implies, this really gets at the, to the heart of the matter of what it means to walk, it really means two things. It's twofold. The first is that we yield to the Spirit's prompting. In your own life, I know you've, you've felt this, you've seen this, you're in a situation, and you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, go reach out to that person. Or the opposite, 
don't do that, right? You all get this. It's a prompting. So walking by the Spirit is yielding to that prompting. And here's the second aspect of what it means to walk. It also means to then do it. To not just hear it and feel the prompting, but to actually then act out and do it. To do it. So there's two aspects to walking by the Spirit. Francis Chan gave a, a great illustration of this in our life group. You know, we've been doing these, these basic series, which is led by Francis Chan. And he, he really embodies this. He says, he's told his daughter a couple times, go clean your room, right? And it doesn't matter if his daughter can quote to him the phrase, go clean your room, or even recite it back to him in the Hebrew or the Greek, right? It matters is if she did it, right? That's what the father, Francis Chan, is really wanting to see. Is she going to clean her room or can she just memorize that phrase and regurgitate it? What really matters is if she does it. The same is true in our walk with Messiah. He wants us to know his word, absolutely. But what the father is really wanting to see is us to do it. And I'll tell you, Walking by the Spirit has so much to do with understanding God's Word. That's the ammunition that the Holy Spirit uses to prompt us. If we're not in God's Word, then we don't know God. And if we're not in God's Word, the Holy Spirit has nothing to use in prompting us, right? So it's so vital that we spend time in God's Word so the Holy Spirit can use things to prompt us. And then it's on us to live it out. To not just go and share with everybody the command, go clean your room, but to actually clean the room, but to actually do it, to live it out. I, you know, in my own life, I really struggle with this. I, I'm so structured and I formulize and systematize my walk with Jesus so that I feel that if I set up all these systems and I set up all these formulas, if I do this and I do that and I do, you know, I pray so long, I read the Bible so long, and then I, I, can, I can produce my walk with Jesus. But the real part is, am I allowing the God's Word to soak into my heart so much so that it changes me and that I want to go out and obey it? That's really what, what Paul's really driving at here. Let's go to the second one. Now starting in, in verses 17, what Paul does is he first makes the statement, you need to walk by the Spirit. Now in verse 17, he goes to how difficult this can be. You know, the reason that it's so difficult to walk by the Spirit is because we're still in the flesh so we know that we need to walk by the Spirit, but the problem is, I still have skin, right? Is anybody in here perfect? I'm not. Are you? No, of course not. We know that we should walk by the Spirit, but there's a conflict. There's an internal conflict because we're still in the flesh. We're still on this earth. There's a struggle. There's a conflict. And Paul writes about this. Read with me in verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But, and I love the buts in the Bible, it's great. But, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So again, it writes here, these, Paul uses two words, flesh and spirit. And these are always conflicting with each other. But the point is, 
I really want to drive this home. The point is, knowing and enjoying Jesus, Yeshua, will naturally lead to living above the law, living above the flesh. If you find your joy and satisfaction in who Jesus is and how wonderful he is, you will naturally become like him. But if you get sidetracked with all the doing, you'll get sidetracked in all the doing. You'll get so focused on the doing that you don't enjoy the person. You know, I, on a good week, I like to run, right? And what I found in, in running is I get so sidetracked with time intervals and like I got to beat last week's time, right? That I really end up not wanting to run anymore. It just becomes such a burden and not very fun. But conversely, if I decide I'm just going to go run and enjoy nature, enjoy the outdoors, get my heart healthy, you know what I find? Is I tend to run longer and faster and enjoy it and keep doing it. And it becomes more of a practice and a habit. The same is true of our walk in Jesus. If we get so sidetracked with the law, with these things that we have set up in our own lives in order to produce in us spirituality, we lose the whole point, which is Jesus, enjoying him. And what Paul says right here in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, if you're enjoying Jesus, if you're enjoying your walk with Him, finding your satisfaction in Him, the law is irrelevant. The flesh is irrelevant because you're captivated by the person and work of Jesus. In my own life, it was 11th grade, I got caught up in a whole bunch of sports. I loved girls. I did the whole thing, you know, and I got so caught up in that. And what I noticed is my life was just empty. There was no satisfaction in it. And what happened is the Lord reached out to me and showed me that he's real and that there's nothing more satisfying than enjoying him and committing my life to him. And that's what changed me. That's what had a real impact in my life is enjoying him. And the same is true here. If we find ourselves loving and enjoying Jesus, what will automatically happen is we'll become more like him. You know, I see this, I see this in Levi. You know, Levi loves his mom. I mean, he's literally attached at the hip. And what I notice is he'll start picking up things that she does and she'll become more and more like her. So true of us in our walk with Jesus. Are you falling in love with him? Do you enjoy him? Or is it a burden? Is it something that you've set up and created your own method of becoming more spiritual? My encouragement to you today is to enjoy him, to love him. Let's go to the third point. Here, Paul really, what he does is he begins to contrast. What's beautiful about this is he sets up for you a mirror. So this is like your audit, you know, with the taxes. This is how you figure out which am I living by? Am I living by the flesh or am I living by the spirit? And Paul has some pretty strong words, you know, and these words, honestly, in my own life, freak me out because I see myself, you know, I see myself in the list where he lists out what it looks like to be living in the flesh. And I know that I'm called not to be that. So let's take a look at number three, the contrast. And your, your fill-ins are deeds of the flesh versus fruit 
of the Spirit. I'll say that again. Deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And in your notes, I actually have it listed out. Nice chart. You know, I'm a pretty big nerd, so I like charts. So I listed it out for you. And on the one hand, you have the deeds of the flesh, and I categorize those. So there's a whole list of them. And I see three main deeds of the flesh that are evident of a person who's walking by the flesh and not choosing to walk by the Spirit. And the first, you know, Paul really moves from a progression. He starts with the very personal in your own personal life. He moves to your walk with God and how sin affects that. And then he moves to how flesh and living by the flesh affects your community. And the first one that he hits is sexual defilement in your own personal life. Talk about our culture. Man, there is so much sexual defilement in that. And what sin does, what the flesh does, what the base impulses of your body does, is it starts defiling you on a personal level. That's where it starts. First starts in the mind, and then it starts working its way down, and you start defiling yourself on a personal level. And it destroys you. Sin and the flesh, its main point Its main purpose is to destroy you. And so it first starts on a personal level. And so Paul lists out a couple there. You can see in verse 19 of how the flesh will begin its destructive pattern in your life personally. Then it moves to the broader picture, your walk with God. That's the next thing that it wants to destroy is your walk with God. So what it will do is it will cause you to trust in your flesh to make you right before God. That's man-made religion, right? Trusting in your flesh to walk with God. And I do this. You know, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and Lord, and yet I find myself in my own life trusting in myself to make myself right with God. That's the second part, the second front of the flesh to destroy your walk with God so that you no longer trust in Him, His Son, Jesus, to make you right, but you start trusting in yourself to make yourself right before God. That's the essence of man-made religion. And the third aspect where it gets the most broadened is the flesh destroys relationship. It makes dysfunctional community. The majority, if you read that list again, the majority of the, the, the aspects that the flesh destroys is when it comes to envy and jealous and disputes and saying, that guy did that, and I'm not going to forgive him. Or vice versa, right? Having dissension, factions. That's how the flesh destroys. If you see yourself in some of these things, you know that you're walking by the flesh. And notice, too, the difference between the, the number. So deeds is plural, right? And fruit is singular. So it's true that with the deeds, you can be doing some of these, but not all of these. And, you know, Paul's statement there at the end, and you can see this, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the phrase that freaks me out because I read that and I get scared, you know. But the point is he's saying practice. Those who habitually practice these things, it is an evidence that they have not come to fully know who Jesus is as the Son. And it's true. Look at that list. Let it be a mirror to you. If you see some of those things true in your life, the beauty is, is that there's always grace. There's always forgiveness in the person of Jesus. He will forgive, and he's calling you to make the choice to turn from your flesh and turn to the Spirit. Now let's take a look at the last one, 
I'm sorry, not the last one, but the fruits of the Spirit in verses 22 through 23. What's beautiful about this is, again, it's a singular, so it's just fruit. So it's very true that the fruit will be produced in the life of the believer. This is true of all of us. If you are a born-again, saved individual today who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, you will have fruit. It's not optional. It is, an, it is a byproduct of your faith in the person and work of Jesus. You will have fruit. And again, notice it's a singular. So it's not like you can have joy without love. It's not like you can have patience without kindness. They come as one package. You can have different degrees, like someone might be better at loving than being patient, but they will have some patience. It's all as one unit. Notice that the spirit works in unity, whereas the flesh works in disunity. The main purpose of the Spirit is to unify us, to draw us together in the person of Jesus. So these are all happening at the same time. Let's take a look at some of these. You have love. Love is the foundation for anything that we have in the person of Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for you, and it's that model that we're supposed to exhibit to others that we would love each other to the point of laying down our lives for each other. Joy. Joy comes from knowing that you are okay with God, right? If that doesn't give you joy, I don't know what will. That the God of the universe, who prior to your salvation, you had a hostile relationship with him, you are now made right. That's a joyful thing. Praise God, right? We're made right before the Lord. So we can have joy, and we can have joy in all circumstances, right? Not when things are just going good, but in all circumstances. And it's the Spirit that reminds you when you're suffering, hey, Andrew, you are right with God the Father. You have no reason not to be joyful. Sure, this is painful, and you can't deny that. And it should be, you know, it's not a bad thing if you experience pain and sorrow. But we have something better, and that should cause us to be joy. And that leads to the, the third, which is peace, shalom. So if joy is the emotional response to your relationship with God the Father, peace is the inward, sustained, stable peace and shalom. So when all these circumstances are happening, you can have peace. Elsewhere in the Brit Chadashah, Paul writes, when you encounter trials and challenges, pray to the Lord, offer those things up to the Lord, and he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, which goes above the rational, will come upon you, and you will be at peace. And that's based on our relationship with the Lord. And those are habits of the heart. And you can see in your your chart there, I've really broken these down into three sections as well. The habits of the heart. And the second triad, when you get into um, patience, it really moves into reaching out to others. That our fruit would be reaching out to others. And the first is patience. Are you long-suffering with others? And Gary's gone over all of these. Are you long-suffering with others? You know, I, I, just, I never get over Jesus' parable about the man that owed the king thousands and billions of dollars, right? And he goes to the king, and the king, you know, gives him a free pass. And he goes out, and he finds a guy that owes him 20 bucks, right? And he just 
beats the crap out of him, throws him in prison. How, what right do we have not to be patient with somebody when God the Father has been so patient with us, right? I mean, there's no, no way to get over that. He's been so patient with me. I have no right to not be patient with you. Otherwise, I'm just like that jerk that owed billions of dollars and then took it out on a guy that owed him 20. So patience, are you exhibiting patience? Kindness, are you being kind? Goodness, are you being good? Are you allowing the gospel to saturate your life so that it goes out, that it gushes out of you and you show it to others? So again, use these as mirrors in your own life. When you're in your devotions, I would challenge you, maybe at the beginning, turn to this passage and check your heart. Are you walking by the flesh today or are you choosing to activate who you are in Messiah Jesus and live in the Spirit? And that leads to our last final point, which is the conquest. And this, again, is the beauty of the gospel. And here's your blank. Live in victory Live in victory. Do you live in the reality that you have been crucified with the Messiah and that it's no longer you living, but rather Messiah living in you? You have been given everything when it comes to godliness and living according to his standards and becoming like him. You've been getting everything. Are you choosing today to live in that? Turn with me to Second Peter real quick. To Second Peter 1, 3, chapter 1, verse 3. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, uh, let's read quickly here. Paul writes, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. I'll read that again. Grab a hold of that. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. This morning, the, the invitation is extended to you. If you don't know the person of Jesus and that he came, that he is the promised Messiah, that he lived a perfect and spotless life and that he died for you and that on the third day he rose again, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating the flesh nature. And that if you believe in that, you have eternal life and you no longer have to struggle with the flesh because it's been destroyed on Calvary with with Messiah. Do you believe that today? If you don't, I would invite you to come talk to us. We'd love to share with you what that means and believing in him. But the truth of the matter is for all of us here this morning who already have believed that, we stand in victory. You were in Yeshua when he died for you. His righteousness is imputed, is put onto you so that you live in victory. Choose today Choose this day to live in that, to live by the Spirit and put away the deeds of the flesh and use this passage as a mirror in your own life to cause you to seek the Lord. If you see yourself in the deeds of the flesh, cry out to the Lord and say, Father, I can't do this in and of myself. Work in me your Spirit. Cause me to become more like you so that I can exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. And this morning and today as we go about our business, let's try to exhibit those fruits of the Spirit. Let's find our joy and satisfaction in Jesus and allow that to produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. 
We pray that your word would dwell richly in our hearts. Father, we ask that you would help us to to love you, to enjoy you, so that these fruits become a natural byproduct of our relationship with you. Help us to grow in our love for one another and also to grow in our love for you. Lord, we give this day to you and we pray that you would not only be doing these things in our own life, but also in the congregational life here at Beth Ariel. Lord, we also ask for the offering that we're about to take now, Lord, that you would bless those things. And Lord, that you would cause us to grow as a congregation, um, Lord, so that we can really impact and cause others to see the beauty of walking in Jesus in the community around us here. And Lord, even beyond to all of LA and all of Southern California, Father. We pray these things in your precious and most holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel with a large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.